Welcome to Wellness Now, a health and wellness information program brought to you by Valleywise Health and District Medical Group. Each week we go in depth with different healthcare experts on some of your top health questions, getting answers to help you live your best life. Hello and welcome to Wellness Now, presented by Valleywise Health and District Medical Group. I'm your host, Dr. Michael White. As we continue to monitor the COVID-19 crisis, there's another side clinicians are worried about, and that's the impact on our mental health. Rates of depression and anxiety have risen dramatically in children and adults since the pandemic became a reality. So what are depression and anxiety and how can they be prevented? Joining us today to discuss this are two mental health experts. Dr. Clint Anthony is a psychiatrist with District Medical Group and practices as part of our integrated behavioral health care model. And Jose Luis Madera is a licensed professional therapist and clinical coordinator at Valleywise Health. Thank you both for joining me today. Pleasure. Thank you. So let's start kind of with the basics. When we talk about depression, when we say that, what do we mean? What is depression? I like to think of it as a brain disorder because that helps separate it from this notion that it's somehow uh, something that you can turn on and off and if you just had greater strength of character you wouldn't get depressed. So brain disorder that's marked by ongoing sadness, even despair, and generally people lose interest in things and have uh, trouble getting things uh, accomplished. How common is this condition and are we truly seeing it rise, you know, as we've been hearing throughout the pandemic? Uh, It it is uh, one of the more common mental health conditions. Um, About 17 million Americans or about 7% of the population does experience what we call clinical depression. Um, We all get sad at times, but the the brain disorder, about uh, 7%, so uh, unfortunately quite common do we believe causes this, this, this brain disorder as you uh, uh, have very well described? Are there certain things that may bring this out? Is it, you know, something that we can start to treat? You hear all the time, uh, depression is a chemical imbalance. And unfortunately, I think that oversimplifies it. The honest answer is we don't know exactly what causes depression like so many other mental health conditions. And that's, that's unfortunate, but we're, we're working on it and uh, getting you know greater information through research every day the best way to think about what causes it is there is likely some genetic predisposition so it does tend to run in families but not a hundred percent so you take someone who maybe has just not quite the right genes so to speak and you put them in a tremendously stressful situation you know a loss a pandemic and they will have a depressive episode triggered off. So it really is a complex interplay of, of many different things to include some sort of uh, brain chemistry that's, that's gone a little awry. Jose Luis, you know, Dr. Anthony described some of those things that we think about of extreme sadness and despair as part of depression. What are some of the other signs and symptoms that you often will see in uh, referrals that will come to us within the integrated behavioral health care model? More recently with the pandemic, we've had a lot of grief going on. So a lot of people uh, losing family members due to COVID. So we've been having that as a common issue with depression. And obviously there's a lot of reasons why, but I think the one factor that we get is people are feeling really isolated right now. They can't really 
they don't feel comfortable going out. They they are told they can, you know, with uh, social distancing, but there's just a lot of pressure to not get COVID. So they're trying to stay home and be safe. What are those signs and symptoms that we should start to look for and be on awareness of in ourselves or even some of our loved ones? Dr. Anthony already mentioned sadness, but I think the loss of enjoyment in doing things, that decrease in appetite, insomnia, you know, just not being able to stay still, I think is one thing, you know, just wanting to always doing something. I think that's always, sometimes we always look at signs of uh, depression. When we diagnose someone with depression, how long can this condition last? Is it something that comes in cycles or is it something that may be present as a chronic illness that we deal with for you know many, many years? It's a good question, but a tough question. Um, the, the simple answer is yes to, to all the parts of your question. There are discrete episodes of, of clinical depression and they tend to last months to years. There is a type of depression that is uh, persisting um, for years to, to decades. How did you go about making the diagnosis of depression? As you noted, you know, we all have times of, in our lives where we feel sad, feel you know, somewhat you know, dejected around it, but how do you reach that diagnosis of clinical depression? Right now, it's what we call a clinical diagnosis. So you sit down with um, your medical professional, and he or she will ask you questions about the symptoms of depression. We don't have blood tests or brain imaging yet that can reliably diagnose us. We're getting diagnosed. We're getting close, but uh, it's still your family doc or mental health professional taking a good history. If you're just tuning in, we're talking about depression and anxiety and what you need to know to care for yourself and your loved ones. ValleyWise Health offers integrated behavioral health care at several locations across Maricopa County. If you need medical care or have questions for one of our clinicians, visit valleywisehealth.org to get started. So as we make the diagnosis of depression, what are some of the ways that you as healthcare professionals begin to treat and help individuals start to deal with this? Both um, counseling, psychotherapy, talk therapy, and medication are effective. The, the medications are, we call them antidepressants, and the combination sometimes is uh, even more effective in the treatment of depression. Um, it can be a personal choice. Some people do not want uh, medications, and we, we have to respect that. And others simply may not have the resources or, or time for uh, psychotherapy. Has the recommendations for these treatments changed over the years? Has, you know, as we've learned more, as you've been alluding to with some of the brain imaging, some of these discussions, how has this treatment changed from what we used to do, say, 10, 15, even 20 years ago? One big change is just the variety and numbers of both counseling, types of counseling that are available, as well as the medications. There are about, at last count, 32 antidepressants on the market in this country. That's a huge number to, to choose from. So we can uh, we can tailor treatments um, you know, very well. It does take some trial and effort, but uh, with advances, we may be able to fine tune treatment with uh, uh, tests and so that we don't have to go through two, three, four meds until we hit on that, uh, that ideal one. 
two special populations that we often think about, you know, that may be dealing with this are our children and then our, our women that are in that immediate postpartum state um, around that. How does depression itself present in children and how that may that be different than how it presents in adults? Well, I think with children, it's we always look at their behavior because a lot of them don't. I wish a two-year-old would wake up and say, Mommy, I'm feeling <laughs> depressed. That would be super easy, but normally it doesn't look like <laughs> it doesn't that. that it would be super nice. But uh, normally their language skills are not there. So normally we look at their uh, behaviors. We look at uh, how they're interacting with others, isolation, things like that. I think the one thing, you know, with children is that when we look at like ADHD and things like that, folks think that, I know we're talking about depression, but they're really active and have a lot of energy. So they just assume that they're happy, but that's not necessarily true. So really gauging and, and talking to children about their feelings is really helpful to kind of understand a little bit better what's going on. And I would say the same thing with women uh, with postpartum. I think there's a, an assumption that they just had a baby, they should be happy. Uh, but that's not always the case. So I think really having these open conversations about how they're feeling, not these like, how are you questions and hoping that they say, okay, you know, uh, and, and not have to go deeper, like really asking the questions and going a little deeper than that. Now that brings up, you know, some uh, great, great points about this. You know, it, it is important to have these conversations, but a lot of people will ask, are there things that I can do to help prevent myself or my family from becoming depressed? Is there any any preventative things that we can do? Interestingly, uh, there are. There's, uh, you know, rather than treat a, a disorder when we're in the throes of it, it makes a lot of sense to find preventative measures. And there is some information out there. It, it's things we hear all the time from good diets to help with inflammation. Interestingly, there's data that depression is in, uh, in part an inflammatory disease like so many other diseases that we suffer. Exercise can be helpful in prevention. Stress management, There's there was um, one study that looked at providing stress management in the workplace and that actually helped lower rates of uh, depression. So there are some things to, to help prevent it from coming on in the first place. When someone's feeling depressed, what is often your first recommendation for them to be able to get help to start to deal with these types of conditions? I always encourage boundaries. That's my first thing. I try to look at, are they giving too much of themselves? And really just asking, you know, those questions of like, why are you feeling this way? How has this been going on and for how long and all these good things? And really I look at boundaries as the first thing and putting themselves first because we often put other people first. And I think that's one thing that happens with depression for some folks is they just feel so empty and fatigued that they don't give themselves any time to process or do anything that they really just need to set some boundaries to help themselves. My kind of my last question on depression is, is, you know, how do you approach a loved one if you're concerned that they may be depressed? How, how do you begin to have that conversation with them to make sure that they're being able to get the resources they need? I mean, I'm a big fan of addressing the issue, but that's not always recommended. I think if you're kind and you say it out of a nice, in a nice tone, I think that's always really helpful. Uh, normally when I get folks that have been told to come to therapy by their family, they're usually very disgruntled in the beginning. So it's always nice to have a, a family member who's mentioned it in a kind way and, and provide with resources like, hey, it seems like you're depressed. Do you need any support? Kind of 
asking the questions and providing support, I think, is always the, the biggest suggestion. And I would add trust your gut, meaning if you sense that something is not quite right in your loved one, pay attention to that. Your instincts are probably right on. Mental health experts Dr. Clint Anthony and Jose Luis Madera are answering your top questions about depression and anxiety. You can make a virtual or in-person appointment with a district medical group provider at Valleywise Health by calling 833-855-9973 Monday through Friday from 7.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. or by visiting valleywisehealth.org and clicking the book appointment button. Now, as we're talking about depression, oftentimes it may be, you know, commingled with another disorder that we often see very commonly is anxiety. When we talk about anxiety, what do we mean when we diagnose somebody with anxiety? Again, it is a, a brain disorder. There, uh, it is a disease that occurs in the brain. Um, uh, not something that you can flip on and off. I wish we could, perhaps. And goes beyond, um, you know, our everyday worries to this daily for weeks on end uh, pattern of either phobias, just intense fear of something, worry that, uh, you know, goes beyond just, you know, am I, I going to make it to work on time today? Um, and uh, some conditions like post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, which are triggered by, you know, just traumatic events in one's past, have uh, tremendous amounts of anxiety with them. How common is anxiety and how often do you see this in your clinical practices? Overall, all of the anxiety disorders, and there, there are several, are the most common types of uh, mental health conditions. Um, and uh, approximately 40 million Americans, uh, a huge number of people suffer from some type of anxiety disorder. So, you know, we all feel anxious at times, you know, in our lives, you know, depending on the events and situations, um, et cetera. How do we know if this is just what I would call normal anxiety <laughs> versus something that's more concerning and needs to be addressed? I think all anxiety should probably be addressed. I'm not sure if there's a, a level that shouldn't be, but I think it just really depends if it impacts your uh, daily life in a way that is harmful. If you can't go to work or you're unable to do different things, I think that that for me is uh, anxiety that I uh, normally treat. I think there are folks that have been able to manage their anxiety, uh, maybe not so successfully sometimes, uh, by either guilting or shaming themselves to do things. And after a while, that kind of doesn't work for them. So they need to find some other skills. So I think that uh, it really just depends the person and where they're at with their anxiety. What are some of those signs and symptoms that we should look for in ourselves or our loved ones that may be concerning that anxiety is overwhelming and starting to impact those you know, activities of daily life as you were just describing? I think the not showing up part, I think, you know, they're, they're, they always have a stomach ache. That's always a good one to look at with little kids. Uh, you know, their stomach hurts, their head hurts, something's always in pain. Because uh, most parents won't force their children to go somewhere if they're, they're saying that they're in pain. Uh, but if it's consistent and constant, I think that's something that we would look at uh, for symptoms. You know, you, you alluded to that, you know, anxiety is a large spectrum of disorders. There's a lot of things that come in there. You know, 
are there more benign types of anxiety versus some of the more severe types of anxiety? Uh, yes, I think among all of the different types of anxiety, there's a, a spectrum from, you know, it is a mild um, condition to severe crippling uh, level of anxiety. When you talk about these and talk about these spells, again, is this a condition that comes cyclical throughout our lives or is this something that may be pervasive and, and have it long terms and, and last forever? Most of the time, unfortunately, anxiety disorders are what we call chronic. They do tend uh, to last uh, a long time. Uh, sometimes they can go uh, into remission on their own. That's wonderful. But usually without treatment, uh, remission is uh, pretty hard to come by and may take a, a very long time. How do you go about making the diagnosis of anxiety and where someone may be along in these spectrums of the different conditions? Like Dr. Anthony mentioned earlier, just doing a, a, a thorough assessment with the patient is really helpful to understand where they're at. I would say that, um, you know, through the interview process, we gather a lot of information if they've received treatment in the past, you know, what supports they have. And really with all that information, we try to, you know, uh, figure out what's going on. And normally, if it is an anxiety disorder, we'll figure that out by the end of the assessment that we have. Are there any individuals that you all become more concerned with that may be more prone or susceptible to developing anxiety versus someone else? Um, one area is folks who have had a lot of trauma in their life. So childhood abuse of some sort, and perhaps then they go off into the military and suffer um, you know, combat trauma, for instance. Um, sexual trauma, unfortunately, is very, very common in this country, and that sets people up for anxiety. So certainly a, a history of um, isolated and especially repeated trauma makes people more vulnerable. Other than avoiding those traumatic-type situations as best you can, are there other ways that anxiety could be prevented? I mean, pre prevented, I think it might depend. I think sometimes helping people learn some relaxation exercises to really understand what their triggers are. Because I feel like anxiety happens normally. There's things that we're not super excited about. Uh, you know, I we came here today. I had to do some breathing exercises before we met because I was a little like I might mess up and say a word that I don't want to say. And so I think understanding ourselves the most is really the best way to prevent it. If I know I'm going to go into a situation that's going to cause me anxiety to do some like breathing exercises or some relaxation exercises to help me, you know, not get into this fight or flight mode or freeze you know, mode that most folks get when they're anxious. If you're just tuning in, we're talking about depression and anxiety and what you need to know to care for yourself and your loved ones. So you've talked, you know, a little bit around some of the techniques, some of the relaxation techniques and things um, that individuals may utilize as tools to overcome anxiety. Are there other treatments that you all prescribe in your practices to help individuals, you know, deal with anxiety and these anxiety disorders? 
definitely. And <laughs> basically what I had uh, described for the treatment of depression applies to anxiety disorders. And uh, you had mentioned yourself earlier there's a lot of overlap. Um, uh, people who get clinical depression often have uh, anxiety symptoms and vice versa. So counseling, psychotherapy, um, which can look at the, the root uh, sometimes of the anxiety um, or help people make peace with uh, traumatic events in their past, uh, highly effective. Um, and the antidepressants, even though we just call them antidepressants, also work uh, very well for anxiety disorders. You know, part of our, our practice here within Valleywise Health is quite unique, and we've, you know, employed this integrated behavioral health care model where we have integrated, you know, you know, behavioral health care professionals working, you know, integrated in our clinics with our medical professionals. So how do medical problems, you know, may that have interact and play a role in both anxiety and depression? And how beneficial is it to have this type of model in treatment of these types of conditions? Um, <clears throat> I, I would say kudos to um, Valley Wise Health for having this vision. Um, and really, I think being on cutting edge um, of mental health treatment and supporting um, uh, our clients as well as uh, primary care and pediatrics. Um, it, it is a great model. Um, it allows people to be treated um, uh, more so in their, their primary care clinic, which is less stigmatizing, it's more convenient. Um, and uh, we can catch people uh, a, a lot sooner in the course of their illness um, when it's recognized by, you know, the frontline medical providers, primary care, pediatrics, as I said. You know, I'm going to shift us back towards the pandemic just a little bit. How has this COVID-19 pandemic really impacted, you know, the number of individuals, you know, both adults and children that are having to seek, you know, health, mental health care to be able to deal with some of these issues. I think if you are already anxiety prone, COVID has probably not been very helpful in general, <laughs> right? I think the one thing that, you know, folks that have been struggling with anxiety and with COVID, it's just reminding them to take proper precautions, right? Wash your hands, wear a mask. You know, we can read the news all day and we can find the Delta variant, we can find the Lambda variant, we can go into this whole cycle of how the world's going to be COVID all around and really just encouraging people to focus on positive things that are going on in their lives and really helping them focus on uh, things outside of their anxiety. As we're ending our time here together today, what are three things that we can leave our audience with to help them as they're navigating this, you know, uh, waters of anxiety and depression? Uh, one, recognize that um, depression and anxiety disorders are common. Um, so likely someone, either yourself or someone in your life, has experienced or will experience them. Um, and uh, therefore, you know, keep an eye open for it. Yeah, and I, I would recommend relaxation, uh, removing the stigma 
of mental health and respond appropriately. I think the yelling at people and telling them that they're depressed or anxious is never great. So just really responding appropriately to what people are, are experiencing is really helpful. And, and uh, I would end with highly treatable we can um, get uh, a hold of um, these types of problems and treat them well. And I think that's very reassuring that, you know, it's, it's good to know that we have, you know, those tools available to us to help people deal with these very common conditions and, and really have teams of folks that are, are very well prepared to be able to deal with this. So I want to thank you both for your time today. My pleasure. Thank you. If you missed any part of the show or want to hear something again, you can access all of our blogs and podcasts at valleywisehealth.org slash be well. Thank you all and we'll talk again soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to Wellness Now, brought to you by Valleywise Health and District Medical Group. If you're looking for more information about what you heard today, visit us online at valleywisehealth.org slash be well. There you'll find blogs, podcasts, and information about the healthcare providers you heard on the show. You can even book an appointment at a Valleywise Community Health Center near you. That's valleywisehealth.org slash be well. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll tune in again soon.